Thank you, Dan and instrumentalist and choir for a beautiful Advent worship today. Today, our word is hope. Maybe you've seen it, I just discovered it this week, that Netflix has done a remake of Anne of Green Gables. That's Anne with an E, you know. Perhaps you know the storyline, Anne is an orphan that has been rejected by a farming family, a brother and a sister, elderly, who run a farm together. They send for a boy, they receive a girl, and they are sending her back in the scene in which I reference. They send her back for a boy who can do some farming chores. As they're in the horse and buggy and they're riding back, and the orphan rejected with a matriarch who really wanted a boy to help out her brother, the little orphan with bright red hair asks, Do you know of anyone who had red hair when she was younger, but it got to be another color when she grew up? No, said the matriarch. There's another hope gone, Anne said. And then she says on this ride to be returned, my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. My life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. Turn to our text this morning. We start in Luke 1 with our Advent reading, skipping all the way over to the end of the book in Luke 19, verse 28. And after he said these things, he was going ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. You know, it really is an ascent to Jerusalem. And it came about that when he approached Bethpage in Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he went to disciples, he sent saying, go into the village opposite you, in which you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying it? Thus you shall speak, the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road, and as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees and the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said to them, I tell you, if these become silent, the very stones will cry out. This isn't a traditional Christmas text, to be sure. But Advent means arrival. Whether it's the arrival of the Bethlehem baby or the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem for the Holy Week. Arrival. In both stories, there's this expectation of the arrival of the Messiah. Waiting on the Messiah. Waiting on hope. As a church, we've done everything we can do this season to get you prepared for Christ, 
for the Advent season. We've distributed free booklets last Sunday and this Sunday. They're on the internet. If you're a young family, we text you every day with a devotional written by our, our staff. And we have special services to get us ready for the arrival of the Christ. But we can't make you have a spirit of expectation. But there is another way in which Christmas is like these end-of-life events for our Messiah's ministry, like Palm Sunday. In both accounts, if we're not careful, we can end up disappointed. When I grew up, false hope in South Carolina went something like this. You'd have several days of warm weather right before official spring and well the trees you know that was the crop peaches and apples in south carolina and in georgia the peaches would start to to blossom the trees and the apples would start to get buds and it was too early and the orchard owners are saying no hold off trees it's not real spring it is a false spring I can remember as a child watching the local news as they interviewed the orchard owners, asking them, what are you going to do? Some tried to cover their trees. Some tried to light fires. Some tried to put ice around the trees to, to keep it at least at 32. They tried different things because they wanted to save the crop. Why? For every blossom that falls, for every bud that turns brown, there's a peach or an apple. And for these folks, it is their livelihood. It's not real spring trees. It is false spring. False spring has its own sting. It feels like it's going to be one thing, and it turns out to be another thing. A chilly night, a freeze blows in, the apples, the peaches are lost. But the robin runs across the lawn looking for the worms, and you put away your warm jackets and your gloves, and you say, well, we won't need these anymore. It's hot as blazes today. And then it comes. Surprise. And Amarilla knows this too. She's back, isn't she? It wasn't real spring. It was false spring. And some see Palm Sunday not as real Easter, but as false Easter. It looks like Easter for a while. It looks like it's going to be happy. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We shout and we celebrate and we wave the palm branches. We throw down our coats and cloaks because, well, he's coming, isn't he? to set up his long-awaited kingdom. Advent, arrival, arrival of the king. Well, it wasn't real Easter on Palm Sunday, was it? The hope didn't last any longer than the blooms on the peach tree. Friday is around the corner, and the king will be crucified well, he'll be betrayed by a friend, handed over by another. The rest will desert him. And then the cosmos itself will grow dark. He's crucified. Cover your plants. Bring in the pets. Get out the cold. It's not real. It's winter again. 
In our text, it begins their ascending to Jerusalem. The sermon today will be a story. It won't have particular points because I don't want to ruin the story. They're ascending. They're climbing mile after mile uphill. They wind through the sandy hills of Jericho, the lowest point on the face of the earth, through the Judean desert, climbing all the way, and only halfway up you reach sea level. Only halfway up you're at sea level, and then you still have a mountain to climb. It's almost always hot. It never rains. It's almost always dusty as well. And that's the way the pilgrims came that day. In our text, and Jesus is going on in front of them, ahead of them. See him there, marching as he planned all along. This is the climax of his story. He has set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, and he's going in obedience. He cannot stop announcing, repent for the kingdom of God has arrived. Repent for the kingdom of God has arrived. And somehow, he himself must embody all that he has preached for Israel. It's the Passover. He's not ushering in this Passover. He is ushering in the Passover where the real Lamb of God, where His blood will make the mark on those who believe, and the death angel will indeed pass over the people of God. Passover time, the height of spring. We crest the summit, and before us is the glistening domes of Jerusalem. This is where the pilgrims are going. This is the end of the journey. They're escorting in the long-awaited, the advent, the arrival of the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9 said the Messiah would ride on a young donkey that had never been used before, and the disciples are right along with the prophet, aren't they, in our story. And as they go, the crowd starts to sing from song, from Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Their eyes, he comes with national hopes. He comes to fulfill all that they've been expecting. This is the arrival they have sought. And with him comes their liberation from Roman oppression. The Messiah is here. It's Passover. It's spring. Blessed is he. It's here at last. That's what they've been saying all their lives. Fred Craddock says it goes like this. When the Messiah comes, they say the cripple on the street, so sorry, but when the Messiah comes, everyone, the lame will leap when the Messiah comes. They say to those who are hungry, so sorry, I wish I could help you, but, but I can't. But when the Messiah comes, all the stomachs will be filled. Just wait when the Messiah comes. The couple waiting a child for 14 years, we're sorry, don't understand it, but, but don't you worry. When the Messiah comes, every house will be filled with the laughter of children. When the Messiah comes, they say, the woman abused by the Roman soldier, now, now, we know, but just wait. When the Messiah comes, no more violence. He'll take over Rome when the Messiah comes, and he's here, it's Jesus. 
do you have the courage to tell them it's not going to end like they think? You've already read the story. You know that he's going to die in a few days. You know good and well the Romans aren't going to be overthrown. You know that he's going to find his place on a cross and not a throne. You've read ahead before. You know the end of this story. Now, are you going to stop this parade and say to them, now, wait a minute, stop your hosannas. It's not like you think. Let's just call it all off. Do you have the courage to break their hope? Frank McCord is an Irish writer. He tells about a friend being an Irishman who was on his deathbed had just months to live, it was clear, dying of TB. He goes to see his friend, and his friend has French vocabulary cards all over his bed, and he's got books on French grammar all over his bed, and so he asks him, Frank asks his dying friend, why are you studying French? He says, oh, when I get to the other side, I want to be able to talk to St. Teresa, so I've got to know French if I'm going to talk to her. Are you going to tell him to quit studying French, that in heaven he won't have to have a human language? Face buried in French grammar, are you going to tell him that's nonsense? Are you passed by Miss Farrow's house? She's on the front porch and she's elderly. She has three children and, and three grandchildren. And, well, the daughter of the grandchildren, she just disappeared. And the son-in-law never showed up. And there she is on her front porch. She's blasting the radio. And she asks her, Miss Farrell, what are you doing today? Listening to some good music? Oh, no, no. At 12 o'clock, the Piggly Wiggly's going to announce who wins $100 worth of groceries. And I got to wait. I, I've got a ticket. I, I'm sure it's mine. I told the kids today they could never bring their friends over. We we don't have enough, but invite your friends tonight. It's a Piggly Wiggly giveaway. I've got a good feeling about this. How dare you? Are you going to tell Ms. Farrow that her chances of winning the Piggly Wiggly $100 grocery giveaway are about the same chances of being struck by lightning? Are you going to take away her spring? What about Jesus? He could turn around and say, I'll be dead on Friday. Just want you to know. And really, he tried to tell them, didn't he? If you read through the Lucan gospel, we're starting a series in Luke the first Sunday in January. It'll take us all the way to Easter. We're going to know a lot about Luke this year. But if you look through the gospel, Luke, how many times did Jesus say to them, the Son of Man will be handed over. He will be crucified. He will die. He will suffer. And he will rise. He gave them the whole formula. I will suffer. I will die. I will rise. But they didn't want to hear any of it. Even as he tried to tell them, they would not listen. Jesus could have said, you've imagined spring all wrong. It's way too early. Yes, the Messiah is here, but you've got the story all wrong. 
People don't like to receive bad news. I don't. Do you? Reminds me of a lady who went to Europe and she was on a grand vacation with some of her friends and she called her husband back home to check on everybody. Her, her favorite at home was Fifi, her, her beautiful cat. Uh, it was a, a, a perfect little Persian, prized Persian cat. And so she calls back home. She asks her husband about everybody back in the States. And finally she asks, well, well how's little Fifi doing? And he says, dead, fell off the roof. <laughs> she just dropped the phone. You have ruined my whole European vacation. Don't you ever tell me anything like that again. Well, I, I thought you'd just want me to be honest with you, he replied. I mean, she did fall off the roof, and she is. Honey, I'm sorry. What should I have said? The first day I asked, you should have said that Fifi's stuck on the roof. And, and the second day when I called, you should have said she's fallen off, but we're hoping against hope, and she's getting the grace, the best of veterinary care. And then on the third day when I called, I would have kind of been ready, and you could have told me that Fifi had died. That would be, you've got to know how to do these things. You just don't say, dead, fell off the roof. That's horrible. <laughs> A few days passed on the European, European vacation, and she called back and asked about everybody and said, well, how's my mom doing? <laughs> and he said, let's just say your mom's on the roof. Let's just start right there by saying <laughs> your mom's. There's a way to break it to people softly and gently. You're not just going to tell the people the Messiah, is, well, it's, it's going to be dead on Friday. It's, it's too hard, isn't it? There's a difference between wishing and hoping. I want the children to know that. I tried to tell them that. The world wishes and God's people hope. Back in the mountains, there was a little cabin with a father raising a bunch of kids, and they're on the front porch looking through the Sears robot catalog for those who are younger than 30. That was a big book. You didn't click. You turned pages and looked, and it was called the Wish Book. And he goes out, and his kids, they were taking turns looking through the book, and they were looking at red wagons, and they were looking at new clothes and dolls and baseballs, and their father comes up and says, what are you kids doing? We're just wishing. He grabs a book, tears it apart, spanks them all the switch and sends them inside. Well, what'd you do that for, somebody asked. They shouldn't be wishing. It doesn't hurt to wish. It does too. The switching I gave them is nothing compared to wishing for what you will never, ever get. Is this just another would-be, could-be messianic parade? They'd done this before in ancient Israel, thought someone was Messiah, then he proves to be a fake. They just, in the past, have left the palm branches there, picked up their coats, dusted off the dust, and went on with life in ancient Israel. If you notice, they want to shape the Messiah as he arrives. We all, we're kind of like a, a potter pumping the wheel and we want to shape the Messiah like we're shaping a pot into the shape that we want it to be when he is the one to be shaping us. Yes, the Messiah is here, but maybe not in the shape that you're trying to make him. 
when Nelson Mandela had just been elected president in South Africa. Preacher made a visit with his wife and the folks were coming out of their little shanties and their little huts and they were so excited. When, when Mandela comes, when Mandela comes, we'll all get electricity. When Mandela comes, we'll all have indoor plumbing. When Mandela comes, and he got up and he gave a speech and he says, we've got to go to school first and we've got to develop a work ethic and we, we've got to, and the people said, he's just a politician. He, he has to talk like that. But when Mandela comes... And then it all didn't happen that way. People were scared to go back because folks were shooting their neighbors. Folks, they didn't even know because Mandela had not ushered in all that the people had waited for. We always want to shape our Messiah, to place our expectations upon him. In reality, he arrives with expectations upon us. The Jews wanted to shape their Messiah. That was the trouble. He told them time and time again, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the authorities and he will be crucified and he will rise again. But they would not hear it. Shh. Don't you talk like that, Jesus. Peter says, it's not going to happen if I'm leading your disciples. Hush your mouth, Jesus. The parade is taking place, and in some ways, there's a, a false Easter about it because the people are not going to get what they expect. They're ready to throw down their cloaks and to wave the branches, to do the showy and flamboyant thing because they have determined who he must be. But when he turns and says, I'm going to the cross, do you want to follow me? They will leave him and flee. So what have you been trying to make out of Jesus? Who do you want him to be for you? From what have you demanded that he deliver you. Hosanna, the Messiah is here. My brother must be healed of cancer. Hosanna, the Messiah is here. We must be sure to have a baby now. Hosanna, the Messiah is here. I'll get a spot on the varsity team. Hosanna, the Messiah is coming. We're just days away from his birth. I'll miss the layoffs at work. Whether it's hope at Christmas, at the beginning of the story, or hope at Palm Sunday, the end of the story, we must be so very careful. Will you let Jesus come on his own terms this year? Will you let him have expectations of you rather than our having expectations? Of him. He is coming. And if we receive him for who he is, we will not be disappointed. Indeed, the arrival of the Messiah is just days away. Get out the 
the calendar and open the doors and eat the chocolate. We are just days away and we cannot be silent. Why, on Christmas, the stars proclaimed and the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus says to the religious leaders, If I make my disciples hush, the stones themselves will declare out. The stones will declare what? That he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and he refuses to be molded by our expectations. He is obedient only to the Father. God's plan was a real Passover lamb, death and resurrection. He gives us the ultimate gift. In dying, he is victorious, and in the emptiness of his tomb, the emptiness of our tomb is guaranteed if we believe him. The Bethlehem baby brings hope. Maybe in a way that we never imagined, but in a way that is more powerful and more meaningful than the eye has ever seen or the ear has ever heard. Get ready. We are just days away. Hope. Real hope. Our lives don't have to be a perfect graveyard of buried hope. The long-awaited one. He's almost here. Let us pray. Oh God, we're scurrying around buying gifts and you're the one that's going to give the real gift. You're going to put on flesh, be placed in a feeding trough in a tiny village to a poor family. The star is going to proclaim it. The angels are going to sing. And the cosmos will rock because the creator has become creation. And the arrival is here. Oh God, I pray this morning if there's anyone who needs to, before your arrival, proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be his day or her day. Maybe others to come and say, this is my church family. These are my people. Maybe you're calling others to come and be a part of this congregation. In the name of Jesus, we pray.